Okay, we're listening to Ultrasonic Film. As always, I'm your host, James, talking about movies, movies, and more movies. And I have a very special guest right now, Clark Johnson, director and actor, joining us here to talk about his latest film and his career. Clark, welcome to Ultrasonic Film. Well, thanks for having me, James. Oh, no problem at all. Now, of course, uh, one of the big reasons we're going to be talking to you today is going to be Percy. Now, uh, Percy, of course, was uh, shot, most of it, uh, or a lot of it was shot in and around Winnipeg and Manitoba, wasn't it? Exactly. Awesome. Now, this, of course, is the new film with uh, Christopher Walken, and uh, it's got Christina Ricci in it as well. It's a true life story, a very passionate, powerful story, and I, I got to tell you, it definitely looks like something you really believed in. Yeah, I, I came to believe in it. I didn't know a thing about it until I didn't know the difference between canola and corn oil until I started getting and diving in, and then I got totally, uh, totally intrigued. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's quite interesting. Your career is, uh, is quite diversified. Not only are you a director and an actor, but a lot of the films that you've directed are quite different as well. For instance, I, I don't know if there'd be too much in common between Percy and SWAT. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I could, we could we delve into a master's uh, degree in film type conversation um, about the connections between, you know, human beings in, in the universal story. But other than that, you're right. Well, you know, running around with guns in, in L.A. is a little different than SWAT and uh, canola in, in Manitoba. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, you know, of course. Saskatchewan, of course. Of course. And, and now, uh, you know, I got, I got to tell you, in Hollywood, of course, a lot of people, as you know, kind of get pigeonholed into the same kind of material. But clearly, uh, you've definitely done all kinds of material, both as an actor and a director. Is there a favorite genre you like to work in? Well, it's funny, you know, I, 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 it's always been that way for me. I started doing this when I was nine years old as an actor, um, you know, and did four, four uh, Broadway show touring shows with my siblings. And then I, uh, then I started off in production. Mm -hmm. I went to Loyola Film School at Concordia in Montreal, and I started off in production. So I, I've always been sort of all over the place and in, in, uh, inquisitively looking at different ways to, to uh, make a living in this business. So it's, it's been, uh, I, I did a Broadway show last, uh, just before we started prep on this, I was on Broadway singing and dancing with James Earl Jones. So. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Of course, as an actor, a lot of people would probably most recognize you from Homicide, Life on the Street. You were on that show for quite some time. Yeah, from beginning to end, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that really got me going. That and, and Sonny Grasso's Night Heat in Toronto. There you yeah. go. That works out well. But you know where I uh, recognize you from? It's one of my uh, uh, favorite films from my youth, and that's Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> yeah. What do you remember about that one? I, that was my first... Um, First job out of theater school that were, they paid me to get on a plane and fly to Chicago. And I, the per diem, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I took the money and I took all the little bottles in the, in a mini bar. I didn't know I had to pay for them. That was my first, that's how I remember that film. <laughs> yeah. You were the gang leader that went up against on Elizabeth the subway, Shue yeah. there in the subway. Very, very memorable part. And uh, it was, I, I rewatched it just before our chat with you again. So I, I, I had to bring it up. Yeah, it's funny. People people stop me that are, you know, grown people such as yourself stop me and say, yeah, I remember as a little kid, I saw that. I go, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah, it's quite uh, quite a, a, a long career. When, when did you first get into directing? Because you started in acting, as you mentioned, but when did you first get into directing? 
Well, I think the first thing I directed, other than film school stuff, was uh, my, my sister Molly's, uh, one of her music videos. Mm -hmm. I, I did a couple of her music videos, and then I, I started to really say, you know what, I really like the idea of directing. And uh, I, I got a, a couple, of, I did a half hour um, show for, um, for um, it, that I, the first time I really directed professionally as a grown-up was in, in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then, the, the next thing was Homicide, and I ended up directing, I think, the most of anybody on Homicide, which got me up and running. And that's great to be able to direct a show you're actually in because everybody knows you, and uh, there's a comfort level there, I would imagine. Right, and that's, that was the thing about being in South Africa. The, Barry Levinson and Tom Fontana said, we're not letting actors direct. You have to be a, we're only hiring directors. So my friend Sean Ryerson <clears throat> uh, offered me a role on that show. And I said, I'll play that role if you let me direct one or two. And I directed two and that got me into homicide. So everything's it, going It hooked well. you and, you and you never looked back. Yeah. <laughs> I got to ask you about Percy, of course. Of course. Uh, you've got Christopher Walken in the lead. Christopher Walken doesn't do a lot of leads. He's done some in his career, but he's usually in a supporting role. So mm -hmm. how is having Christopher Walken in the lead of your film? He was wonderful. You know, it, it, when we first started bouncing that around, the idea around, I said, yeah, a guy from Queens playing Saskatchewan, canola farmer, it's, it's a no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he really embraced it, really got inside that guy. And uh, I, I think the Schmeiser family is really happy. Um, I, I told uh, I told the Schmeiser family that we couldn't get uh, Humphrey Bogart, so we we had to settle for Christopher Walken if that was okay. <laughs> but he was great, you know, and and uh, he really wanted to 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 play this guy and really do this, and you know he was game. He he learned to drive a combine. Wow, wow, yeah, well, that's good. That's throwing yourself into the role. I yeah. have to ask you. Uh, you also used a local actor who I've chatted with in the past here on the show, uh, Adam Beach. How did of he work course. out? Well, Adam, Adam was in my, pre, the, my film previous to that. Oh. Adam was, was a love interest in Juanita, which I think you might still find on Netflix. And, and he was a cool. love interest. And, and I've known him um, before that. But uh, we, I, I, I really like the guy, and, and I really like working with him. And, and uh, uh, we thought it'd be great for him to play a farmer and just come in and, and uh, kick it around with us in his hometown. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's uh, that sounds good. And now, I, of course, I got to ask you about working with both uh, Winnipeg actors and Winnipeg crews. It's always nice to hear how someone uh, who comes into uh, into Manitoba finds working with our, our crew, cast and crew. Uh, it was it was great. I, I was expecting no less. You know, it's funny. We were the story, as you know, set in Saskatchewan and, and they lost their tax deal. And so <laughs> we ended up shooting in Manitoba which ended up working fine for us and, and uh, the, a great crew base, as you mentioned in, in uh, my first ID, Jason Bohm was, is from Saskatchewan, but primarily the crew is a Winnipeg based and my DP, uh, uh, Luke Montpellier is from Sudbury, which is close enough. Right. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was great crew and, you know, really a diverse um, uh, uh, group of actors that we, we assembled there. And, and in this case, I'm talking about background. Right. We, we didn't know whether we'd be able to get to India or not. So we shot the conference in Winnipeg. And I said, how are we going to cast an international um, conference of, of um, agro experts? And come on, how are we going to get people from it? And it, it's amazing. You know, there's so many people that have landed in Winnipeg from all around the world. We peopled that place. It was like a United Nations uh, event, you know. 
which was a pleasant surprise. We did end up getting to go to India, but we shot some of the interiors in in uh, in, in Winnipeg, as I, as I said, in case we didn't go. And I was really happy with the with the people we cast there. Well, that's uh, that sounds awesome. It's always great to hear that uh, people coming in. Uh, have that kind of experience. You yourself have a bit of a Canadian connection as well, don't you? Oh yeah, I'm. I got still have a house in Toronto. I'm a dual citizen. I'm, uh, you know, easily going back and forth. My kids were born there. I, I, I uh, you know, that's I nice. It's nice to be able to be able to, especially in the business that you're in, uh, use both the United States and Canada, and being able to uh, facilitate both because sometimes it's best to shoot in different places, of course. Yeah, and, and the, the Canadian connection really helped me with my international career because uh, with the Commonwealth thing, I, I ended up being able to go shoot in England. And then I started, you know, I've spent a lot of time overseas, uh, abroad working as well because because I could. Now, thanks to our dear Donald Trump, it's hard for me to travel. But, um, I, I uh, you know, as, as a Canadian, it was easier and, 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 and more respect, receptive. And, and, and so I have both. Yeah, certainly. Now, of course, uh, a lot of people might ask you, what do you prefer, acting or directing? But I want, I, I, the, my question actually is, is acting a more relaxing for you than directing? Uh, I don't know about relaxing. Again, it depends on the role. I, I did a great series with, uh, with um, uh, Gary Trudeau and, and uh, it, it, was, it was starring, I was on an ensemble cast with, um, with, jeez. Um, uh, uh, oh, John John Goodman. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, imagine forgetting his name, John Goodman and, and uh, Bill Murray, and a great cast. And so that was the. And we we lasted two seasons on Amazon. I, I think we we got canceled in seventeen or something. Um, no. But that wasn't. It wasn't that it was relaxing. It was just such a change of pace. Uh, I hadn't really done much comedy since uh, Second City. Um, but uh, so it was fun to play that role. I didn't feel any pressure at all. Now. When I'm directing myself, that sucks. <laughs> because there's too many, it's two, two completely different uh, uh, mindsets, you know. Uh, as, a, as a director, I'm looking at everybody's work and, 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 and trying to blend everybody's work together. And as an actor, you focus on what you're doing and how you bring that particular element to the story. So um, I, I find it harder to direct myself. Otherwise, just to go and, and kick it around as an actor on, on somebody else's show is fun for me, yeah. Yeah, the uh, when you said directing yourself, it, it kind of sucks. I was thinking of that scene in SWAT where you get uh, hit with that uh, flying object. There was that something you wanted to do to yourself? <laughs> no, it was funny because they kept sending me, you know, Sony Castings, uh, you know, uh, uh, studio casting kept sending me, um, uh, you know, Telemundo type actors, you know, beautiful, uh, you know, Spanish looking uh, actors instead of I wanted I wanted indigenous looking. I wanted real people that look like they're from Central America. So we just street cast and we found this woman and she was great and she was engaging and funny and she didn't speak English, but she was great. As soon as the cameras rolled, she froze. And I went, oh my God, now what am I going to do? So I said, the best thing to do is uh, if, when somebody can't is, is nervous about acting, the easiest emotion to play is anger. So I, we gave her, that was a real frying pan, by the way. So we gave her the frying pan. And then I just added the stunt. I just fell over the railing. I just fell over the railing just for fun after that. Oh, man, oh, man. And we're talking to you right now in New York City? Yeah. Sorry, That's awesome. Yeah. Man, oh, man. So I got to ask you, were you tempted to cameo yourself there in per Percy? I saw Percy. It's a very good film. If you snuck yourself in there, I didn't catch it. 
No, I wouldn't have found, I, I don't, I, I, I usually, I, I don't necessarily do that just to do it. You know, if there's a role that's interesting or if it, like in, in my film Boycott, here's a funny farm story. I forgot about this. Uh, we came to set one day, you know, halfway through filming the film Boycott. It was about Martin Luther King uh, set in, uh, in Alabama. And uh, a lot of the local actors had other jobs. And, and we, we uh, came to set, my ID goes, we're down one actor. And I said, what, what happened to, to this particular actor? Is he okay? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, it, it's, it's gonna rain, so he couldn't come in. I said, well, get him a freaking umbrella. No, he, he is an alfalfa <laughs> farmer. He had to get his crop up. Oh, oh. I swear to God. So I said, well, shit, I'll play the guy. So I went and got into period clothes and I played the, the <laughs> reporter from from uh, the, the Montgomery uh, newspaper, because so the guy didn't show. <laughs> often from necessity, you, you kind of cast yourself. But I like what, that. The farm connection, I had never heard that. And then of course I heard that a lot in, in, in filming Percy, because we shot on, on, on a real farm with, with a sixth generation, lovely farm family. And, um, you know, we, we really learned to, to the, the film was shot in, in, as nature dictated, not as a production schedule dictated. Yeah, oh, makes sense. Well, I want to—I uh, want to definitely recommend Percy. I got an opportunity to see the film. I really enjoyed it. You crafted a very powerful true life story. It never feels like uh, like a movie. It, it feels a little bit more like a documentary at times. Is that something you were going for? Yeah, I mean, I'm—I always like to tell stories that way. I mean, I like to—I don't—I don't tend to get too fancy with stuff. And and the, the, we had to use the transcripts a lot because of, uh, you know. Uh, the, dealings with lawyers etc and and so and and because it's a true story and and a true perspective we couldn't deviate too much from oh and then then percy schmeiser gets in a helicopter and flies to no we we had yeah. to stick to you know the actual events so it, it made it lent itself more to a documentary style because it kind of was yeah absolutely and again a very very powerful film and uh, we should definitely recommend that everybody check it on out and of course shot uh, in and around manitoba it's always great to uh, check out films that are shot here as well uh yeah. clark will you come back and shoot something in the future here i would be happy to you know uh uh christina ricci and both her and luke montpelier my dp have shot they shot three films in a row there <laughs> Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you saw me again. I, 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 here's my shout out to my my uh, Winnipeg-based crew and cast. And uh, I'd love to come. We wanted to bring the film out and have a cast and crew screening at that fabulous Park Theater. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm forgetting where it is, but it, it's on uh, Osborne there. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And uh, we were going to have a cast and crew there, but uh, you know, COVID hit, and now we're just sort of. Streaming yeah, doing the best we can. Well, fortunately, people can still see this fine film, and I think uh, that's uh, certainly the important thing. So, Clark, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us here on Ultrasonic Film. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's getting released uh, theatrically uh, in limited capacity by, by my dear friends at Mongrel Films. I think uh, Winnipeg's going to have a screen for us, so it'll it'll be, you know, it'll be out there. Hopefully, uh, people can watch it socially distant, but in a movie theater. Awesome. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us once again there, Clark. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Okay, thanks, James. Thanks for having me on. Attention all musicians, bands, associations, clubs, and organizations that represent collective styles of music across Canada. Now is the time to rebuild our collective music nation genres like hip-hop, R&B, jazz, soul, reggae, gospel, and more united. The Collective Music Nation is a non-profit organization committed to the development of collective music. Free memberships are available now. 
the Collective Music Nation. One voice, strength in unity. Good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to Ultrasonic Film. We have an incredibly special show for you today. I am very, very uh, thankful to have this person here on the show. I've uh, been watching his films for well over 20 years now, and he's written, directed, and produced over 150 movies, and he just keeps going at it. And uh, i got to tell you, it's a truly an honor to have you on the show. Uh, Jim Wynorski, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Uh, th- uh, thank you very much, sir, for joining us here. Uh, we're, we're speaking to you now in... Uh, in New York, aren't we? Uh, yes, I'm uh, situated in New York at the moment. Okay, and uh, I got to tell you, it's it's an absolute blast to have you on the show. So thanks again. I do appreciate it. No problem. Awesome. And now, do you mind if if we start uh, pretty much at the beginning here? Because uh, oh my god, <laughs> I'm taking you back. It's always what I get. Oh, can we start at the beginning? <laughs> I hate starting at the beginning. Okay, well let's start uh, right now then, and and uh, but I will start with a film uh, that you did do at the beginning. There is one film that you made. Uh, early on uh, that's uh, had an incredible impact on a lot of different people. It was done as a low-budget film at that time and has since uh, been uh, re-released, and there's an enormous fan base, of course, all over the Internet for it. It's a film that you did for uh, Roger and Julie Corman, and, of course, that's Chopping Mall. Oh, my goodness, yes, Chopping Mall. Now, uh, are, are you surprised by the sheer longevity and popularity of this film? Because My I- mother is. <laughs> She's 101, and she's surprised by her longevity, too. So, <laughs> Well, kudos uh, to your mother. She saw the film when it first came out, and she said, oh, this is a wonderful, she called me and said, it's a wonderful film. It was, it was my second picture, and it got a lot of, got a, a pretty good theatrical run, and then yeah. um, became uh, kind of a big video hit in the 80s. And over the years, it's it's not lessened. It's It's gotten stronger and stronger over the years, so... Um, um, I'm very happy about the way it's been, uh, you know, found, found by a lot of different people. And received, yeah. I, now, I think, and this is just my personal theory, is that the film has some of the pure sensibilities of, of Roger and Julie Corn, but it also has pure sensibilities of the types of film that you do combined together. And I think that, that perhaps it's driving its popularity. Well, uh, when I made the uh, original film, uh, it was a little longer. It was like 85 minutes, and I, I think Roger and Julie cut it to 80. Mm-hmm. So it really had, uh, you know, a, a great pacing. Absolutely. And um, that's due to the editor, Leslie Rosenthal, not me, but she did a great job cutting it, and uh, I was pleased. Yeah. I was very pleased with the way it turned out, and... Uh, you know, originally called was called Killbots, right. and it did a it bombed under that title. It's and, true. Uh, you know, we sent it to a test market, and it just died. Yeah. And and Roger took it back. He said, "I don't understand this, Jim. You made a good film. I don't understand why right. this picture's not performing. And let's go look at it again." Right. So we took it to the screening room and we watched this, watched it again. And there was a guy changing lights in the screening room, mm-hmm. was sitting there just kind of watching the movie with us. Yeah. And it was Roger, myself, another assistant, and my, and this guy who was so just, kind of a, a janitor. Right, some technical light guy. Bulbs. And at the, and the lights came up, <laughs> you know, we were discussing, well, what's, what's wrong? There's nothing seems to be wrong with this picture. And, right. and uh, the guy changing the lights said, uh, why don't you just call it Chopping Mall? <laughs> and I looked at Roger. Roger looked at myself. Roger looked at me. And, and uh, 
Yeah. I said, uh, we're half off. It's just the beginning. Yeah. And then Roger said, we're shopping cost you an arm and a leg. <laughs> he says, go fix that. Po- go do a new poster. We'll, we'll try again this weekend. So they set it out on the second weekend with a new poster and a new title. Yeah. And it did great work. It did great uh, business. Absolutely. We, we uh, just continued to make money with that title. Okay. Now, um, i, I got to tell you, it is a, a fairly low-budget film, and uh, m- much of the crew that worked on this also appeared. And you can see yourself in cameos here and there in the film as, as, as well. Um, and so, so you guys really uh, put this together for, uh, on, on a fairly low budget. I would believe the budget was $700,000. Which sounds in, like a lot of money. but In 1985. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the money went into the creation of the three robots. Right, of course. Uh, one was completely functional yeah. and remote controlled. One was, uh, had wires attached in the back, and one was a shell. Mm-hmm. And uh, the shell, of course, is the one that explodes at the very end right. of the movie. And the other two... One is in the hands of the, the major one is in a uh, the one that's remote control is in the hands of a private collector here in New York. Oh, excellent! Who's probably the biggest chopping wall fan in the world? <laughs> well, yeah, more than more than I am actually. <laughs> and uh, uh, and the second one kind of deteriorated on the on the studio a lot over the course of the years. So mm-hmm. I wish I'd kept it, but. Who's, who can keep one of those things in your house? You know, so <laughs> yeah. obviously somebody can because they bought the original. But I wasn't—I'm not a big prop collector. Yeah. For for the purposes of of your guesting here on the show, uh, in an email I sent out, I described you as a master of the low budget film. But I'm kind of curious, uh, Jim. Uh, you obviously referred to in many different ways. Uh, you know, exploitation that filmmaker, son of a bitch, <laughs> schlockmeister, B movie king. Is there one that you kind of prefer a terminology of what you do? You know, I make a lot of different movies, and I strike at different audiences. You know, I go right. for kids sometimes, I go for adults, I go for sci-fi nuts, I go for drama people and westerns. I make all kinds of movies. And, um, you know, whatever, wherever I'm going, that's what I try. I try to do my best and with, with the money I've got. Okay. Okay. And so for your actually to, for people to label you uh, as far as an actual uh, term, uh, how do you refer to yourself? <laughs> that son of a bitch. We're back to that again. Huh? <laughs> I don't know. That's Come the on. that's you the know, that's well, the best answer that, to that question. How, how do plumbers refer to themselves? Hi. That's I'm true. A plumber. Okay. Hi. I'm a doctor. You know. There you go. I'm a filmmaker. Working filmmaker. Yes. Sounds good. I li- I like it. Um, as coming into the uh, 1980s, um. You uh, basically had uh, had kind of written and and produced one of the most uh, quintessential uh, sex comedies uh, of all time, and this was Screwballs. Oh my God! I, I just won, I think we won the uh, the most the most um, um, uh, lascivious uh, <laughs> nude scene ever in a recent poll. I, 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 we were number one. <laughs> You know, I didn't direct that picture, but I, no. I, I wrote it and produced it with Linda Shane. Right. And because um, I couldn't direct it because it was had Canadian content. I see. But we did write it and we did produce it and um, we did re-edit the picture when it came down to L.A. Yeah, you know, I got the funny t- story behind that film was that mm-hmm. when we got it, it was... Um, 
we, they screened it at Rogers Corman, who is a, the nicest guy in the world, but does not have um, um, mm-hmm. youthful sensibilities. Got it. And when, we, when he screened it for him and a number of um, his, his, his uh, assistants, um, there was not a laugh in the house. <laughs> it just played. Okay? It played without a laugh. Oh, man. And everybody came out of the, the film saying, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right. I said, what's wrong? They said, well, it doesn't seem to be very funny. I said, I, I, I was taken aback. I said, I thought we, we created something very funny. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was because we had a thing called, we called the, the theater the shoebox. Okay. Because it was a, just a, a lengthy little screening room in the back of um, of the office. Okay. And the assistants were always afraid to react because Roger was in the room. Ah, yes. Don't laugh or don't don't cry or don't <laughs> shout out or anything until <laughs> you see what he does. Right. And when he when when he was, you know, kind of ambivalent, so were they. Okay. I said, Roger, do me a favor, screen it this weekend. Mm-hmm. If it's not funny, I'll I'll I'll, I'll pack up and <laughs> go sell shoes or something. <laughs> so they screened it in Westwood, which is a, a kind of a ritzy um, area of, of uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And we had like a seven o'clock screening, and it was like a you know a sneak preview. Okay. And we had a packed house. Yeah. I said, well. I looked at Linda. I said, "Well, she she sat down next to me. She's in the she's in the movie. She plays Bootsy." Oh yes. And and we sat there and said, "Well, this is all depending. Let's see what happens." Mm-hmm. Anyway, the movie comes on, and people start laughing, howling. <laughs> They're laughing for the whole. And Roger was right behind me, sitting right behind me in the in the screening room. Right. And. Um, at one point, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, I think you've done a very good job, okay? And, <laughs> that's awesome. And um, so yeah. that's when we took it back, and we did the poster, which was the, kind of a funny poster of um, hands chasing a girl. Mm-hmm. And um, that film was a huge success everywhere. It really was, yeah. It did quite uh, quite an enormous amount of box office, and it kind of followed, of course, in the genre of, uh, of Porky's and a lot of the other okay, films. Okay, well, that, there's another story. Rogers said, told us, told Linda and I to sneak into 20th Century Fox uh-huh. and steal the Porky script <laughs> <laughs> before it came out. She says, "I'm hearing great word, word of mouth on this picture called Porky's. Uh, it hadn't even come out yet. Oh, really? And and I said, he said, can you guys sneak into Fox and get that script? <laughs> Well, we couldn't do that. Right. I didn't want to get arrested, so uh, we 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 found out what Porky's was about. Okay, so this is directly inspired by from by from people who were in it. Okay, that I knew. Okay, and and no, you know, no actors ever keep their scripts. Yeah, they just they throw them in the garbage on the way out. Uh, out. So couldn't get, couldn't find the script, but I found, we found out what it was about. It was about guys trying to get yeah. get some action. Right, exactly. And so I said, okay, Linda, let's, you and I write about five <laughs> guys who want to get some action, okay? And we made up the silliest 
silliest stuff we could come up with. You know, some of the stuff in the, uh, particularly in the drive-in movie theater uh, sequence, I thought that was absolutely hilarious too. A lot of the jokes in there are a lot of fun, and uh, it's it's definitely seems to be uh, a, a, to have captured uh, a, a very strong audience over the years as well. Well, I, I was I, a couple of years later. I was in um, Argentina, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I had a day. I was shooting Death Stalker too, and, and yeah. on a day off, I went into Buenos Aires and I saw a big, huge, like huge poster for it uh, in downtown. Uh, <laughs> and they said, "Oh, that must be." It was called a Rumpy Cocos. And I said, "Okay, I'm gonna go find where Rumpy Cocos is playing." And I did, and I walked in, and they were howling Even uh-huh. in Spanish. They were howling, I, and, and I said, "I've got a worldwide hit here." And um, and, you know, I, I, I just went back to the time when uh, Linda and I were writing it. We, I used to write, we used to write at her apartment. Right. And we'd yell at each other and say, that's funny, that's not funny. And mm-hmm. we were always, you know, it's hard to write comedy. It really is. It's like the hardest thing in the world. And they say, you know, dying, dying is easy and comedy is hard. You know, that, yeah. that's so true. Yeah. Now, uh, we, uh, sorry, you know, go ahead. We went, you know, I went, we went into the... Um, um, had to have lunch, and I passed a bowling alley, and we said, you know, we should do something with bowling. And I said, how about strip bowling? <laughs> and that created, that scene kind of wrote itself. After we had come up with the idea of strip bowling, right? that scene just kind of just wrote itself. <laughs> and we thought it was we thought it was the best scene in the movie. Yeah, it's certainly become one of the most infamous uh, sequences. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, just, it's, just, it's just wacky, but it's good. Yeah. In its own way. It, most certainly. Uh, then now, Screwballs had several sequels uh, right up to Screwball yeah, Academy. Illegal, screw, illegal sequels that I've sued on, sued about. So let's not talk about those. Oh, okay. Well, they suck. Got it. We'll leave those aside. But yeah, definitely uh, check they out. They suck! <laughs> <laughs> it was fun shooting in Canada. Yeah? It was fun shooting in Canada. Shot that in Toronto. Awesome. Uh, good to hear. Now, I'm kind of curious, on Screwballs, you're given the credit of creative consultant. I can only uh, uh, guess what uh, what in- is entailed with a creative consultant. Creative consultant means that you could, I couldn't take producer credit because of Canadian content law. Ah, oh, okay. I was curious on that. Cool. Okay, so it does have a, actually sort of a legal... I mean, when the film came down to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. it, was, it was cut lazily. Ah, okay. okay? It, was a, it was a 90... Two-minute picture, right? And that's and and comedy's got to go fast. Yes. So Linda and I went in and did some new opticals and and added some new score and cut twelve minutes out of the picture. Right. Okay. And I all that stuff really, really, um, I think brought it to life. Had it, it gave it Kicked a up sort the pace. of. Um, yeah. Uh, raunchy sensibility. Cool, cool. Not to say that Canadians aren't raunchy. There you they go. They are. Very but, true. But uh, this one was cut lazily. Got it, got it. And you went in there and you did uh, did a good job, and it ended up being uh, uh, quite a popular film, absolutely. i got to ask you about another film here, if I could. Sure. It's a film called Hard to Die. Hard to Die. Yes. I know I remember that one. That's the, That was a... A story that, that that started about six months earlier than the shooting date was uh, Roger and Julie Corman left for uh, Europe, mm-hmm. and uh, there were some empty empty sets 
sitting around the lot <laughs> that had had where all the all the props had been taken away and all the furniture had been taken away. Roger is notorious for doing this as well, using empty sets or bro- broken. Well, he didn't know sets. about this. <laughs> His wife Julie, who had produced Chopping Mall, right. I came to her and I said, you know, why don't we make, why don't I make a movie on the sets while you're gone? And she says, okay, but don't tell Roger. I'll finance it, but don't tell Roger. Okay. And I said, okay. And so I had a, I just, I wrote the script to Sorority House Massacre 2. Mm-hmm. And we made that film um, in seven days. Okay. And when Roger came back from his trip, he was walking around the lot, and someone said, oh, and, and he saw that one of the sets was had blood all over it. And right. I said, and they said, what happened here? And he said, uh, he was told by an assistant, oh, that Wynorski did that last week. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, what? Yeah, he said, they made a film here last week. <laughs> and so the, I got a call within the hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah mind coming down to the office. I've heard you did something last week. Did you make a film? And I said, yes. Please come to the office. I said, okay, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> so I went down and he said, well, what, what happened? I said, well, I, while you were gone, your wife financed the movie. <laughs> and he said, he said, can I see it? I said, you ask Julie. <laughs> I like how you won't show him the movie at this point. It's like, oh, I'll talk oh, to Julie. It was Julie's movie. <laughs> so yeah, so Ju- Julie gives permission. Roger comes down to the lot, watches the first, I don't know, we had like 20 minutes, 30 minutes cut. Right. And he says, can you do this for me? And I said, sure. Okay. <laughs> so he had just finished a movie called Corporate Assets, mm-hmm. which I believe is long gone lost in a film you can't find anywhere got it and he said use those sets okay I said, okay i'll use those sets and i'll remake the same movie <laughs> which i did basically with the same cast <laughs> and the same the same everything i just said it in an office building and roger wanted to call it hard to die because die hard was a very, very popular movie okay cool Cool. And so we we shot the I shot the basically the same movie again, cool. but I added I made it crazier. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a lot. It's very crazy. It's a lot of fun uh, to check out. I have one very interesting kind of personal question though. I want to ask you about this, if that's okay. Please. Now uh, I have a VHS copy of this movie. Yes. And I was very very excited because I'd heard that you made a cameo in it and that Kelly Maroney made a cameo in it and I thought well this is going to be great. I watched the VHS of it and that scene is not in it. Roger cut that scene for the VHS. Oh, why did he do that? Because Roger is a little you know. I don't know. I just he's, he wanted to move the film along. He thought okay. that film slowed. That scene slowed things down. So that's in no VHS copy of that film, then? I do not believe so. I believe it's on the Laserdisc, if you can find that, right. and uh, it's also on the DVD. Okay. I was curious about I thought maybe I had a copy that didn't have it, or if there was an odd one out no, there. No, that scene and a couple of other little pieces of snips were taken out. Okay. Okay. I was curious about that. I definitely wanted to uh, to ask and see uh, see what that was. There's, like. certain, there's a lot of discrepancies in, in certain in certain films you know, between the VHS and the DVD. Yes. No, it's true. And uh, also, uh, with you guys... Uh, 
uh, you know, re-editing and making different cuts. Uh, I also believe the cable version of Hard to Die was the completer version. Okay. The more, the more complete version. Cool, cool. Can can I ask you about one film which I found uh, absolutely remarkable, and uh, it, it it actually received some very uh, bad reviews, but i got to tell you, I, th- this is one that just, uh, I, I think it's really kind of amazing in its own special way. Can, can, can I ask you about this? Well, go ahead. <laughs> you got me. I'm a captive audience. Here we go. It's a film called Rangers. And uh, yeah, and I was really quite impressed. You know, it's it's a fascinating film because it's a fairly low budget movie, but you've made it look like it's got a budget of a hundred million dollars, and and you did this very strategically by borrowing because uh, uh, I'm an avid film buff by borrowing uh, sequences uh, from other films, and I, I don't know how you get the rights for all this, but uh, but you've got sequences in there from everything from Invasion USA to The Hidden to Red Heat, I think even Navy Seals, and and it's just you, you put it together so tightly it's about 90 minutes long and it's just, it's thrilling to watch particularly uh, uh, for film buffs who could spot these sequences but also I, I would presume for people who were not aware of the of some of the sequences that you board you can almost use this in a classroom to show people how to uh, make a, a low budget film look like it has an incredible budget there's a lot of skill I, I feel putting this together well, I, I liked Rangers I, yeah. I, I, it, it got Lukewarm reviews, but right. you know it's it, it, it again. Here's what here's the real story. Okay. In 1997, um, the B movie uh, system was changing. It changes every four or five years. Okay. Okay. And I said I got to make my films look bigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw an ad in the Hollywood Reporter that said from Paramount Pictures saying, we'll sell you our stock footage. Okay? And they just take out an ad saying they're going to sell it. A little tiny ad, like a, like a, like a, you know, a wanted ad. Okay? And okay. I said, this, this, this can't be right. But I went over there and they said, oh, yeah, we've got a lot, a lot of footage from... And they would only sell me, at one point, they would only sell me outtakes. Footage okay. that wasn't used. Right. And I went. I looked. I looked. I said, "Well, pull up the Top Gun footage. Pull up the uh, clear and present danger footage." Right. And you know, when they had an explosion on a house or something, they mm-hmm. put eleven cameras on it. Right. Of course. And whatever they used in the movie, I couldn't use. Okay. But whatever they didn't use in the movie, <laughs> I could. <laughs> and I said, "How much will this cost me?" And I said, "25 grand for 18 minutes." <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> okay. And I said, you can give me 18 minutes of footage for 25 grand. I said, they said, that's it. So I gave him 25 grand. And I, but I, I looked at the, all the footage, and I wrote a right. script called The Pandora Project. Okay. Around the footage from Top Gun and a lot of their other fine movies. Okay. Okay. And it was a big success because mm-hmm. it, it looked big. It had you know Daniel Baldwin, Erica Elianak, and mm-hmm. the, I, I forgot who else was in it. But it was it was a good sized picture, and it looked beautiful because I had all this great footage. Okay. And of course, when it was a success, they said, "Do it again, do it again." Yeah. So that's how I, I went back and did Rangers, mm-hmm. and I finally did a movie called Stealth Fighter. Okay. Okay, which was. I was what I, I call them the big, you know, the, the stock footage movies. Okay, <laughs> and uh, I went back to Paramount 
who I just bought a lot of stuff from. And, and I said, geez, I wish I could have the, a scene from Flight of the Intruder. <laughs> and they said, well, let me see. And they came back and they said, oh, we'll sell you, the, we'll sell you, you know, uh-huh. five minutes of Flight of the Intruder. <laughs> Okay, for I don't know, I think it was like fifteen grand. Okay, not not outtakes, but the, in, <laughs> the movie the, the, itself. The negative. <laughs> the negative. Okay. This doesn't seem very ethical to the to the filmmakers. Okay, well, let, let me finish the story. Okay, so, so go Ranger, for it. Uh, Stealth Fighter is made. It comes out. It makes a lot of money, <laughs> and it co- it shows up on cable. And Mace Newfeld, <laughs> who had who's one of their main producers of Crimson, you know, Crimson Tide. Right. Lots of lots of big Paramount pictures. He's home one night and he sees Flight of the Intruder splashed across his screen, and it's not Flight of the Intruder. It, it's my movie, you know, Stealth Fighter. Right. So he calls he calls Paramount the next day, mm-hmm. and the stock footage library closes down. <laughs> closes down. You shut down the stock footage. Library. And, and I and, and by that time though. It was like closing the barn door after all the horses got out. Right, exactly. Okay? Because I had made six to seven hardware movies. Right. Um, before I finished, before Stealth Fighter. There was a, um, at the beginning of Militia, there is a wonderful homage to uh, Terminator 2 as well. Yes, there is. <laughs> But I was doing that at the time, and, and I, you know, I, I, I called the James Bond people. I got some stuff from D- Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> I was, I was, I went, I did Capricorn One. I did I, I, anything I saw where there was an action scene. Boom! I grabbed it. And you own the rights to the stuff to this day. You can still take it and put it in movies, or not? No, it was you purchase it for one movie. Uh, got it. Okay. I was and, curious. But that how movie that... can run forever, <laughs> continuously. Okay. Because it's it's purchased for that movie, <laughs> and I, the last one I did it on was Sub Zero. Yeah, uh, there was a movie called Vertical Limit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I must tell you, they really, they shot amazing footage for that film. Yeah, it looked really good. That's with Chris O'Donnell, I think, right? Right. Yeah, and they had eight hours of footage from <laughs> Vertical Limit. <laughs> All these you know great aerial shots, avalanches. Everything you can imagine, right? And I said, and they said, okay, just take you know ten minutes, ten thousand. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's a bargain. <laughs> so Sub Zero is 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 looks like a a, a huge film because right. You've got, um, you got number ten- one, we had the stock footage, and number two, we, I I took the up took the the cameras up to a glacier in uh, in. Uh, Canada, right? And every every morning we get up at four in the morning and go to the top of the glacier and shoot. Oh, that's awesome! And it was that, and the combination of the stock footage really made that film look like gorgeous. Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! Uh, okay, uh, can I throw out a different question? Uh, doesn't have anything to do with uh, your films for a second there. Okay, the pin number on my Visa card is six seven. <laughs> You're very forthcoming in this interview, Jim, and I want to thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Nothing else to do. (laughs) Is it true, this is a rumor, but is it true that they named a character after you in the film Final Destination? I wouldn't know. Apparently, in the film Final Destination, one of the characters' last name is Wynorski. They might have done that. They did it. They did it. um, There was was another Corman film that 
where Stacy Keach mm-hmm. got a credit, and, and it says, and Stacy Keach as Winorski. <laughs> <laughs> Your legend grows there, Jim. Oh, uh, I wouldn't call it a legend. I just call it uh, a list. <laughs> Well, I think others might disagree with you there. Can I? I got, okay, I got to jump back into your filmography here. I've only got you for a little while, and there's, there's some other films I got to touch on if that's okay. Go ahead. Um, I was really kind of blown away by the thing below. Oh. This is a wild little number, and I can't even count the genres you got in here. You got cowboys facing each other for a shoot off and a western send up. It's a sci fi action. Uh, there's dramatic it's a mess. elements. It's, it's, it's a, mess. It's a Let me horror tell you film. How much of a mess that film is? Okay, <laughs> go for it. Uh, it was made in Canada, mm-hmm. where I love shooting. I mean, I shot all of Sub Zero in Canada. You got to come shoot in Winnipeg, there, Jim. All right. Well, bottom line is. There are good Canadians and bad Canadians, mm-hmm. okay? just like here in the U.S., okay? okay? And the production company on The Thing Below mm-hmm. were, the, were the shoddiest, cheesiest, you know, worst people I've ever dealt with. Oh, wow. And they had a script that, it, that couldn't be done. So I wrote a new script okay. using things that I found in and around Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Okay? There's a, there's a, um, a, a place where there's a, a, a derailed train. Yeah. With boxcars and everything. It looks, it looks like a... a, a it, and they use it for firefighting. It looked awesome in the film. It, it looked, it, and they used it for fire. And there's a western town. Mm-hmm. And there's... there's um, there were other things. Uh, there was a, a, a ferry boat... That, that looked like it could be, you know, a ship. Okay. And it was, it was a, it was the, the ferry boat was a ground. It was not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. And so I wrote the script around these things, mm-hmm. these these locations that were in and around Vancouver. Okay. And we shot in them, um, and then I put the whole thing together, and. I was relying on their expertise at CGI to do the monster. Right. Except they hired a couple of teenagers <laughs> out of school. Oh man. Who had, you know, you know, uh, whose CGI looked worse than Xbox 1. <laughs> Oh, man. And it and it completely submarined the picture. Well, I got to tell you it, it in an over the top wild it's it's got your energy in there for sure. Yeah, well, they also they also behind my back shot all those. those there's two. There's two. They look look like you know jerks in a in an underground laboratory or something. And I'm two military guys. Right, right, right. That stuff was 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 shot after I left. Oh, geez, really? Yeah, man. So oh. I, when I saw that, I said, "Damn, what are you guys doing? What man. are you guys doing?" Trying to. And so I, I wrote I wrote that picture off. Okay, and you did, took your name off of that one. Did I? I don't know. I think so. Yeah. As well, I should have. There you go. There you go. Well, let's talk about a film of yours that's really, really good, and quite frankly, I think is is um, one of your best and one of my favorites. And it's a it's a very, very new film that just came out. I think you hit the tone on this one really, really nicely. It's a film called Gila. 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 Yes. I, I when I was a kid. Here in the New York, I was I brought up I was brought up in New York, and we had a thing called the four thirty movie. And every mm-hmm. Friday they had sci fi movies on the Friday on the four thirty movie. Right. And one of the ones that I totally enjoyed 
was the giant Gila monster. Because mm-hmm. it had, you know, rock and roll, hot rods, and a monster. Right. And, and you know, people pretending to be teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> With receding hairlines. <laughs> and, you know, I, every time it was on, I said, oh, I got to watch the Gila monster because it had a great kind of eerie theme. And, right. Um, you know, when it was a cheesy little black and white movie that was made in Texas, but it it, it struck a chord with me, and I said, "Geez, that's a film I'd love." Awesome. And a couple of years, you know, many years later, mm-hmm. um, I was talking with a partner of mine, and he said, "What do you want to do?" And uh, his name is Bill Dever, and, he, and and we we got together and we said, um, "I want to make." Um, a re- do a remake of uh, Giant Gila Monster. Yeah. And both of us, both Bill and I, wanted to do it like the old-style films. Right. You know, get, make it make it a period piece. Mm-hmm. Set it and, in the 1950s. And so we got a lot of, you know, Bill got together a lot of old cars, and uh, we found Don Sullivan from the original movie, put him in there, and, and, we, right. and we, you know, got a lot of rock and roll numbers. And I tried to make it, uh, you know, a, a, a nice... Um, homage yes. to the original. No, it's true. And the uh, the script certainly reflects that. You chose the cast very, very well. I was honestly quite surprised with the amount of expense that went into uh, uh, giving that 1950s period feel. Uh, and uh, it, it comes off quite nicely. Well, it was, it was tough to do because we didn't have a lot of money. Bill's a, um, a marvelous producer. And... <clears throat> um, he was able to, you know, get those cars for free, and and the town where he lives in Indiana looked a lot like the Texas um, uh, town where they had shot the first version. Right. So we went out and we we really busted our ass um, to make it look and sound fifties, right. and. Uh, you know, it's gotten a lot of good response. No, most certainly. Now, of course, the correct pronunciation is Gila. Gila. Gila? Like, like, a, like... So the G is silent, then? The G is silent. It's like an H. Okay, so it's G-I-L-A is the title if you're looking it on up, but uh, Gila is uh, is the correct pronunciation. The correct pronunciation. And it's on Amazon. It's streaming on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And... Um, uh, it's a kind of a neat movie. No, very, very true indeed. And it was great to see uh, the lovely Kelly Maroney cast in the in the role. Oh, there. she's a, she's a doll. <laughs> she's a doll. I've been I've been I've been friends with her for a long time. And uh, you know, when I saw Night of the Comet. I said, I want that girl. <laughs> I want that girl. I want that girl. Like, that girl's going to be in my next picture. And so it turned out to be Chopping Wall. But she's also in. Um, Big Bad Mama 2, she's in Not of This Earth, she's in Transylvania Twist, mm-hmm. she's in Gila. So, she, you know, any chance I get where I can, I can put her in, I always I always do. Yeah, no, it's, and you, you, again, uh, the youthful cast that you have in this is very, very well chosen, and they give very kind of earnest performances, and uh, and it, it like I say, it matches the 50s uh, style quite nicely. Well, I was, brought, I was brought up watching those black and white movies, so I figured, okay, you, you could make this, you could turn the color off your set. And it would kind of look like a 50s movie, <laughs> except for the CGI. And they originally had a real-life Gila monster, and they were poking his head through balsa wood walls. You know, and, and, and I said, oh, my God, that, 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 that poor thing is being battered around and lit on fire and everything else. <laughs> so um, um, I didn't want to do something like that.
Okay. But we had a, well, she had a cop that came by and said, we hear you have a live Gila monster over here. <laughs> you know, that's illegal. Can I search? Can I search? And I said, go right ahead. Let me know if you find one. Okay? you got to have to kind of wonder where he heard that rumor. He probably heard it from a disgruntled neighbor <laughs> who wanted us to be gone. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. Filming can be fun, and it can also be quite tricky at times. Can't well, it was, it was a lot of fun filming this movie. It was cold, mm-hmm. but it was it was fun doing. Now, like two years ago. Now the uh, the um, uh, climactic uh, song in the film is that something that was actually in the original picture as well? Yes, yes, that's the mushroom song. Mm-hmm. That's um, that was written by Don Sullivan, and we got his permission to um, reuse it again for uh, our version. That song comes in the middle of the movie in the original, but I wanted to say, I you know, I wanted to save it for the last moment in the conclusion i thought it would be a nice um uh scene mm-hmm. and uh, so i kind of recreated the scene from the original with uh, him singing it to a little girl very yeah very very true and for uh, for a film directed by yourself there's a certain amount of of restraint as far as uh, as lovely ladies and sexuality in the film also it's it, it, you you've matched it period wise quite nicely yeah well the 50s were a different period, and you know, I'm I'm all for you know lovely ladies appearing in my movies, as mm-hmm. you well know. Okay, I don't mind having a couple of really hot ones every film. So it certainly doesn't hurt popularity of the films, right? But in this case, I said, okay, I got to I got to keep them them you know demure, right? And uh, and uh, you know, uh, the girls that I have in the movie, there's two leads. Mm-hmm. I think they're both very pretty. I, th- I think so as well, and uh, and it does come off quite well. Uh, now you've mentioned uh, a, a really uh, a terrible experience on the thing below, but in all the films that you've shot, is there has there been one that's been uh, incredibly difficult? Uh, does oh yeah. some, Does something oh, really yeah. come there's, to mind? There's, there's that's been a couple. Oh, I, I'm curious. I'd be curious because I Sins would imagine. Of desire with Tanya Roberts. Oh what, my God. Uh, I wanted I wanted to take a gun out and just shoot her six times. The title yeah. again. The title again was Sins of Desire. Sins of Desire. She was difficult to work with, I guess. Uh, more than that. Oh. Just the one, one of the. I hate her. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you know, I can't say a lot about her without you know defaming someone, but you can say you hate them. Okay. I, and I do hate her. Got it. Okay. Okay. And the other film that was tough to make was Vampirella because mm. it was shot in Vegas, and there was a lot of unions, and there was a lot of draft, and yeah. Um, it wasn't enjoyable because it was 110 degrees every day. Oh man, oh man! I could imagine that would definitely make things but it, a little bit. It, uh, there were other pluses, like you know, I had Roger Daltrey in the movie. Right. And every every day at lunchtime, he'd come out on his trailer steps and start singing Who songs. Okay. <laughs> you can't and, go wrong with that. And I'd say, "Geez, I'm getting a Who concert at lunch." Okay. Why? Turn the cameras on. Let's film this. It'll be Why? on the DVD. <laughs> and I, you know, the first time I heard, it, I said, "Who's got that radio on?" Because mm-hmm. it sounded, you know, no one like it was like Fan Man, and you know, he would start doing these Who Who songs yeah. on a string guitar, oh, and I'd man. say, "Wow." That's awesome. I got the who here. Yeah, I know it's a difficult question for you to answer, but of course I'd be I'd be curious uh, just because it's you. I have to ask: What are some of the greatest people that you've worked with? People that have really uh, stood out. I know there's just been hundreds, but uh, uh, what, oh my god! That does, let me tell you that you hear about these annoying actors like Lindsay Lohan and, and mm-hmm. 
Tanya Roberts. For every one of those, yeah. there's a hundred good ones. Right, exactly. Who want to work, who want to be there, who want to create. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, and I've worked with some of the prettiest and sexiest and, and most wonderful actresses and some of the nicest actors. Yeah. Um, Angie Dickinson from Big Bad Mama 2. Mm-hmm. Um, Heather Locklear from Return of Swamp Thing. Tracy Lords from Not of This Earth. Yeah. Um, Erica Elianak from uh, Pandora Project and, and a number of others. Mm-hmm. Um, the list just goes on and on and on. They're all they're all nice right. people. Yeah. They're all nice people, and it's great to be around hot, sexy chicks. Hey. Okay, let me tell you that. Not a bad life. Not a bad life. I mean, I worked with them all, like Lonnie Anderson. I, 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 I discovered Jennifer Love Hewitt when she was twelve years old. That was that Munchies. Yes, Munchie. Munchie, right. And uh, so I've, 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 I met a lot of them and worked with a lot of them. And uh, for the most part, I'd say 98% of them mm-hmm. are fun and great people to work with. Just got to watch out for that 2%. The 2%, when, they, when you have them, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a handful and it's a pain in the ass. I hear you. Um, uh, I'm curious, because you kind of sort of work outside the studio system, obviously, knocking these films off uh, at an incredible rate. Uh, for young actors, particularly in the New York area, how do you get discovered by Jim Wynorski? How, how do you find new talent? Uh, well, it depends on where I'm making the movie. Okay. I'm not making any movies in New York. I just live here. Now. Right. Um, but, you know, I, when I go to L.A., I, know, I have a whole... I actually cast out of my cell phone. Okay. Okay? I've got, I got all, all the names of the people I trust. Mm-hmm. People that will show up, know their lines, and not give me any crap. Got okay? It. Yeah. And if I... If, if those are the people I'll go, I go back to again and again and again and again. I, I, yes, you need to discover new people. And I and, and uh, I just did a movie called Cobra Gator. Okay. And you know, mo- and I shot it in Florida. Most of the main actors came from Los Angeles. Okay. I had Michael Madsen, who I worked with with four times, who I love. Mm-hmm. And I had some new 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 talent, new kids. Awesome. awesome. And they all did a great job. Yeah, no. I have a thing called Shark and Saw. Women's Prison Massacre. That's the latest one you're working on, right? Yeah, that'll be finished in a month or so, mm-hmm. and uh, less than a month, I hope. And that's with Tracy Lords um, and Dominique Swain. Man. And it's a fun picture. That just sounds amazing. Uh, you know, Jim, I, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us here on the show. I really do appreciate it. It's been a blast going through all these films with you and uh, and right. and uh, and touching on your career here. And I, I, again, it, it, I, I I think it's fantastic that you're you're still making movies. You're still out there, and you're you're putting out as much as you are. And okay. uh, and again, I started young. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> very, very true. Very true indeed. But I want uh, I want to thank you uh, for for uh, dropping on by. But also, uh, I. Really really did, uh, uh, I think it's remarkable that a film that you made just a couple of years ago, is Hila, is, is, is as fun and enjoyable as it is, and I wanted to thank you for that as well. I, I purchased a copy, and I really do enjoy it. It's, it's something that... Oh, uh, great. I knew I had $15 coming from something. <laughs> oh, there you go. Or 12 or whatever it goes for now. <laughs> but yes, James, I had a great time talking with you, and uh, I hope uh, your audience had a good time, too. Awesome. You, you keep it up there, Jim, and, th- and thanks again for joining us here on the show. I really do appreciate it. All right, James. Thank you very much. Okay.